the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast Green Room Edition. This is a monthly show we cover all the latest news and hot topics in the driving instructor industry. As always, I am your jolly northern host, Terry Cook, and I am delighted to be here. But you'll be delighted that it's not just me, because I am joined by viral sensation Chris Benstead. How are we doing, Chris? It sounds like I've got something wrong with me. No one's going to come near me now. I'm good. I'm, I haven't got a virus. It's It's fine. It was just TikTok. You have a viral sensation. I, I, that did not register. There you go. Uh, also, the co-founder of the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective and the sole founder of Theory Test Explained. Um, yeah, we're also it. joined by some of my lovely premium members who are watching in the background and will be uh, potentially chipping in the chat and potentially jumping in later on to share some of their thoughts and tell us why uh, Chris and I are wrong. Um, so I put out a call to action for my, uh, in my Facebook group, the Instructor Podcast Facebook group, I put a call to action for some topics for this month and we got some lovely suggestions. So we're going to cover those later on because we've got a little bit of news to begin with. So let's start off. I want to ask you, Chris, cause you recently recorded the, the latest, um, big learner relay song, the choir song. Yes. Tell us how that went. I didn't know how it was going to be. It, it was, you know, it was a very going to be a really strange day, whatever, um, because obviously we we didn't have uh, my co-conductor uh, Louise stood there next to me. Um, I think it helped that we were in a different venue. It was lucky we were in a different venue because you know, um, as as much as we loved uh, Peter King's shed in his garden, um, it was a re- proper recording studio, but it was quite small. Um, we wouldn't have fitted all all forty plus of us in there, so it it was it was amazing to have that many people there. That included uh, Blaine Lou's husband, um, both of her sisters Amy and Jane, um, two two of her children uh, Ella and Finbar, uh, and some friends as as well. Uh, I don't think I've missed anyone from from that side of things, but yeah. So so there were people there. Um, we also had Amy's uh, partner who was playing keyboard. Amy was playing saxophone. So you know, yeah, it, it's going to be a, a different song to previous ones because it was live musicians and uh, yeah, it, it was brilliant. Um, it th- yeah, there were there were a few tears shed, um, but actually. We really united in the fact that we were all there together, and it was it was it was what it should have been. So uh, I'm not telling you what the song is; you have to wait. Um, but hopefully, it'll be out by sometime next week. Uh, I'm just waiting on the uh, sound engineer. We had a sound engineer, Gordon and uh, Kate Newton's husband Simon, uh, both amazing, and donated their time for free. Uh, so they're working on the song. I'm then going to put the video together and it will be released out to you uh, for your your listening, hopefully, pleasure. Where will people be able to find it? Everywhere. The aim is to, we, we, we're going to, yeah, post it all over the place. Um, so we're going to try and make it so you can download the audio file so you can have it on, you know, on whatever you want in the car and such. There'll be a video, so it'll be on YouTube. Uh, we're going to plaster it on Facebook. Um, you know, might might stick it on TikTok. 
Um, but we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to make sure it's out there. And what we would love for everybody to do is every time you see it, uh, love it, heart it. Um, and um, also, uh, if you could share it and and make sure everybody kind of gets gets to hear it and, and be aware of it, that would be amazing. Because, you know, it, potentially, who knows what the future is bringing um, with regards instructors fundraising and everything else but you know the this is marking the end of the relay so we we want it to to be to be massive and to remember an awesome lady uh, i haven't checked this review yet but i'm presuming we can put it on the, the podcast as well the big learner relay podcast so people can listen via spotify and stuff like that yeah yeah absolutely you know we we just want to make sure that it's um it's being listened to and uh um people can can join us in in singing along i did see loads of lovely pictures uh, i think that was it was bladdered all over facebook uh, which which was nice to see but yeah it's good to hear that everyone had i don't know maybe for lack of a better lack of a better expression a good time um and and it, it was pleasant or you get what i'm saying all right so from from an industry legend to maybe something that isn't quite so so pleasant um i want to speak very very briefly about the dvsa because I'm getting very, very bored of the whole waiting list times thing, stuff like that. And I'm sure there are people that tune into this show because they want to hear um, two middle-aged men be grumpy about the DVSA. And that's never what, what this has been about, but we need to touch on it briefly. So they've, they've released the new stats for the way they're working stuff out. And I've seen a lot of comments online. And, and the amusing ones for me are actually the ones where people have asked what they've thought about the blog and lots of people have responded saying they haven't read the blog, but this is what they think, which always amuses me. Like how You can't really comment unless you've read it. But I, I do want to make one point about the stats, and, and I may get shot down for this, but whatever. I regularly change the way I look at stats on the Instructor Podcast. As the audience changes uh, and stuff, I, I look at different stats. So, for example, I never used to look at first day downloads on an episode because my audience was that small. It was irrelevant. I had to look at over a week or a month. Now, I don't really care over a week or a month. That's kind of a general thing. The specific is how quickly do I get to 100 downloads? Um, and that's so the, the stats that I'm looking at have changed and I can plow into them and get all kinds of different information, like how long people are listening, which is equally as important as that. You know, sometimes I'll change and split test the the name of an episode to see who listens because of the title and stuff like that. So when the DVSA changed the way they use stats, I don't care in the slightest because there may be a little bit of not fiddling, but massaging numbers there in the way the government did over COVID, where they use the same graph until they weren't top of that graph anymore, then they switched to a different one. So that's always a possibility, but also, so what? They've got to use some form of stats. So I don't really care. And I think I'm getting to a point, and I think I mentioned this to you before we started recording, Chris, so I don't think I'm repeating myself now, but this, they don't matter. Those numbers are irrelevant. So, so anyone trying to book a test, those numbers are irrelevant. The thing that matters is people are still struggling to book tests, and I don't think it's going to be of significance until the profiteering stops. When the profiteering stops, then we know that they've actually achieved it. So is there anything you want to touch on regarding the, um, the, the stats in particular? I largely agree. I think when you're dealing with stats, they're the big picture. So, you know, if it's a one in a million chance – 
you know that that to the big picture gives you an idea of how likely it is if you're the one in a million it's irrelevant of what the chances were in a lot of cases it's right this is either good or bad thing happening to me and and that's that's kind of you know where you look at it what i object to historically is when the statistics are changed and we're not told that they're changed so uh, the one that I always remember was the it was waiting list, but this was back in the days when there was actually a waiting list instead of a queue, um, and they changed it from uh, the the number for the for how long the wait was for a test center used to be the number of weeks until there's ten percent availability, and then they decided to change it to the number of weeks until there is availability because you only need one test, so. They 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 made that change. Suddenly, all of the numbers for the waiting list dropped because we'd gone to one test instead of ten percent. But it was never shouted about. You know why? Why would you do that? Why why would you say you've moved the goalposts? So I think if it's open and transparent, and it's just saying this is the number, and you know make of it what you will. Fair enough. Um, I think when it's that political manipulation that none of us like, um, you know it. Yeah, I'm not keen on that. Do I want to sit talking about it for the next hour? Not really. I started reading the blog post and I got about a third of the way through and just migraine kicked in because that was comp. They, they, I, they felt like they were trying to explain it to a five-year-old, but they, they didn't. And I think I had to go back about four times to get any idea what they were saying. But either way, um, let's move on from the stats then because, again, let's talk about stuff that's more important and more relevant. Although it is worth mentioning this because we haven't mentioned it yet, which is the um, the hundred and fifty thousand extra tests are creating by moving staff out of management positions and into test testing conditions. Oh, thoughts on that, Chris? Um, it's interesting. We're not talking about the the lack of part two and part three tests. We're not talking about the loss of test centre managers. So you haven't got someone you can go and whisper in their ear and and see if they can help you. Um, you know, all, all the the negative move that's been involved in it. But yeah, there's a load more tests out there. We we, we can't have it both ways. I get that. Um, my concern is what's the backup plan for when the people that are producing creating these hundred fifty thousand tests uh, when they decide. It's not in my remit. It's not what I want to do, and and they leave us because um, we're already struggling for um, ADI enforcement officers, whatever they're called now, because um, no one seems to know. We all know that they were going to change the name and not to what what it is. Um, that yeah, those those examiners are few and far between already, and I keep hearing people saying, "Well, they don't want the job," <laughs> so. I'd like to know what's coming next. It's great. We've taken a big step and we've got a number there. So that's action. That's better than inaction, which is what we had before. So, you know, I, I'm I'm not going to knock that as much as I might want to at times. Um, I, I But I, I'd like to know what the longer term plan is. We've both said it, I think, over the last, well, two years. Um, be careful what you wish for a little bit. And and this could come back. Not well, I suppose it could come back and bite us, but I think it could come back and bite everyone potentially. And yeah, but I do think that the whole thing now, I'm just getting to a point where I think screw them, let them sort their shit out and we'll look after us. You know, you've said it from day one. I've noticed more and more people using your phrase now of minimum standards. Um, it's it's really sinking in. But 
let's let, let them have their minimum standards, which appears to be a six-month waiting lists, um, changing starts, changing trigger points, taking standard checks off, reapplying them again, changing scores on part threes or whatever. Let them have the minimum standards, and what we'll do is we'll just go and do better. And I think that that is where our focus needs to be going forwards. I'm sure you'd agree with that. Yes. The, the minimum standards thing was a highlight for me uh, when talking to someone from the DVSA. And I, I sort of apologised. I said, I just want you to know that it's not derogatory. It's a statement of fact. That's that's what the DVSA do. Um, and the answer was, yes, it has been noted. Standards check in the posts. Well, uh, speaking of talking to someone from the DVSA, I know that you've uh, you had something to mention around that, I think. Yeah, I, I asked the question, which I think is the the next burning question for the industry. Um, you know, as we said, waiting list, whatever, um, is the 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 automatic restriction with the move towards uh, all cars becoming automatic of some kind, unless we get a technology change. Um, instructors have got to plan ahead. We're, you know, we are businesses. I'm not that bothered about how people get their license and what that license is going to look like because that has to sort itself out. But for us as businesses, a, a car purchase or contract or you know, whatever whatever format it takes, you're looking at four years. Potentially, if you're going electric, to budget for that additional cost, you're looking at a longer term. Um, so we, we need to know what's going to happen. Is it going to be they remove code 78 and, you know, becomes – whatever car you take it in you can drive anything um which seems to be the the model around the around the world um you know we, there aren't that many places that seem to seem to be in the same same uh format outside of europe um but yeah so it would just be interesting to know so that we can plan ahead so i asked the question the answer was don't know but i asked it the other day um so i i am on the promise that when there is some news we will hear so uh, we'll, you know, it's, it's being asked. But if if you have people that are, you know, connected to, because it, it's it's largely a DVLA decision as well as DVSA. So, um, you know, anyone you're talking to, ask the question when you get the opportunity, and maybe enough noise will mean that we'll actually get an answer. So driving instructors will find out on Monday. The public will find out on Tuesday. Then it'll go into play on the Wednesday. <laughs> then everyone has to change everything. Um, so, all right. That that's probably worth a longer discussion at some point, but maybe not today. Um, but let's finish up just by talking briefly again about the expo and the ice event we we attended recently because there are two episodes out on those. Um, well, the ice one is out now. The 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 expo one will be out soon. Uh, well, I've spoke to Richard Stores and there's a recording of of uh, what I did with Sophie Thompson down there as well. Um, but yeah, just just give us your thoughts on those events, Chris, and potentially how they they compare for ADIs. Um, so the we'll start with the expo because it, it came first. Um, I uh, the, there was there were a few less uh, exhibitors for want of a better term um, than there have been at previous ones. Um, the uh, I thought the the range of speakers was was really good and was well received. I spoke to people that didn't normally go and sit in those you know those speaker events that had done this time because they'd made the effort to go and then, you know, they'd sort of done the wander around. Um, and there was some really good feedback. 
uh, I, you know, I didn't hear any bad reviews, my except you, know, you and I might have been spoken about behind our backs, but um, you know, it, yeah, it seemed like a really positive, positive day. Um, it, the only negative I think was that the main stage, main speaker stage was in amongst all of the stalls. So it was difficult to hear. So I didn't get to hear what the DBSA were saying. Um, I didn't run over. But I didn't, I didn't, couldn't have heard anyway, so I gave up. Um, but yeah, it was the most attended event they've had, uh, which is brilliant. Instructors engaging for me—that's the important thing. Go and you know get to know who's out there, what's out there, and, and what you can get involved in. Uh, I know the disability driving instructor guys had had um, cars running, and people were out you know playing with hand controls and such. So you know that that's got to be a good thing. Um, I think it's, yeah, it, the change of location, I was worried would decrease numbers and it didn't seem to have that effect. I'll say I, I miss a lot of it. I think I slept for about two hours in car. <laughs> oh dear. But um, I, I did speak to Richard Star, so I won't go into too much detail on this, but I did ask him about the the queues and about the, the sound system. I also asked him about, you know, the DVSA going on last. Um, so you get to hear what he says about that. But I think... Uh, I think I agree. I, I like the variety. It felt like it was a bit more fresh this year. It felt so maybe partly because of changing location as well, but it felt a little bit different this year for me, which was a, a good thing. I think that you know they probably wind up they did break a thousand, but unofficially. So you know right. they're, they're getting closer. Um, but yeah, we, again, I think I agree. But well, let's move on to the ice event then. You know, there was a, a bonus episode about this recently, which uh, you were included on that, um, along with a squirrel. But um, what, any other thoughts on that that you might want to mention now? Before I start, what does I stand for again? Because I, I can't remember. I kept having to look it up. That was Immersive Community Education. Immersive. That was it. Lovely. Ooh. Um, so, uh, so, yes. So it, it was a VR show. It wasn't a driving instructor show. Um, there were four times the number of instructors there were the previous year, um, largely because of us. Um, and uh, it was about community safety and road safety using VR experiences. So the big thing for me is, technical terms coming up, um, three DOF versus six DOF. Um, degrees of functionality. Um, so 3DOF is you're inside of a 360-degree film. So it's kind of 3D in a 2D, I suppose, um, whereas 6DOF is the stuff that, you know, Oculus and things like that where you can interact and more computer gamey or uh, what you see medical people practising on now. You know, the brain surgeons are, are sitting there playing computer games to to do their practice. And, you know, it's absolutely fascinating. We were very much in the world of the 360 film, the three doff. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought it was really interesting. Um, I think our big highlight, we, we say it's our big highlight, that neither of us went on it. Um, but the Hazard Express um, was, a, which is a van with six, seats in um six vr systems and the whole thing has got a platform that moves and you experience a car crash so i didn't go on it because i've done that myself and i don't want to go back to having one of them um i was very concerned that it would keep me up at night um uh so i 
probably classed as wimped out, but I think I protected myself. And I know you were nursing a bad back and didn't want to get thrown around. So, yeah, it, you know, I, I I think that was the the kind of highlight of the show from a this is what we can do perspective. I I feel there's a bit of that, um, you know, scare the shit out of them, to be honest, um, which is proven not to work. They discussed it on the day saying it doesn't work and that actually showing what we should do, showing the positives is stronger. And there still seems to be an appetite for scare the shit out of them and then tell them what they can do to be safe. But not as far as we would like as trainers, pass them on to us. You know, and and send them our way when it's the driving related stuff. Um, I I yeah, I, I'm not I'm not sure. Um, am I going to be sat here? You know, I'm already Zoom based. Am I going to be VR based anytime soon? I don't think we're there yet. I could probably do theory lessons in a classroom. Um, I don't think it would be any better than doing Zoom, and it'd be ten times the price. So I won't bother yet. But uh, you know, if anyone's out there wants to do the research, get in touch. Uh, that'd be great. Um, yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. Would I recommend all instructors turn up on mass? Um, maybe because we're going to get noticed, and I think that's not a bad thing. Being taken seriously in the world of safety, it it wasn't the cheapest ticket going. Yeah, if we compare it with the expo that was free, that would be my con- concern. It's the, the telling point for me was kind of what you said about there, the instructors embracing road safety. And I mentioned this on the um the, the bonus episode for for the for the ice, um, immersive community education, in that I don't think we do embrace it. And again, I'm not talking about everyone, so but we say we do. We say we teach safe driving for life, but what do we actually bring in outside of that? You know, do we do the VR stuff? Do we, you know, and I'm not necessarily talking about just driving lessons. I'm all about promoting stuff. So do we attend these events to find out more? Do we put on our own safety events? Do we share, you know, the, the when Brick do their stuff? Do we share Project Edwards' week of action? Do we listen to the Project Edward Road Safety podcast, which is back out soon, by the way? Um, you know, do we embrace this stuff or do we just say, I teach safe driving for life? And I'm guilty of that at times. I don't do enough, uh, in my opinion, of bringing this road safety in and promoting that out to a bigger audience. Because I've said this before. Imagine if every single driving instructor started sharing more of this road safety stuff, the good stuff. It would make an impact. So, you know, you know, something you're going to see a little bit more of from me going forward, talking around those sort of areas. But I, I think it's something that it really got me thinking about embracing this. Like you said, cost is an issue. It is. So I wouldn't say you should be going to this. You know, I wouldn't take that high and mighty approach. But I would say if it's viable for you to go, I think it's a great opportunity. A, it's quite fun. B, you get to meet great people. C, you get to see what's going on. And... You know, I, as you said, I didn't get to go in the 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 Hazard Express either, but I'd imagine that would be quite interesting to to go in and actually see it because I've been in a couple of crashes years ago, but nothing. I'll say nothing extreme. Car turned over once, which wasn't nice, but um, I should have done this for for Halloween because it's going out on Halloween. We could have done Halloween horror stories, <laughs> but the um, it would be I think quite interesting to go in and see what's happening. So I, I can imagine if that uh has an express went to every school now all right like you said the the shock tactics don't work but it would start a conversation 
And I think that would help. You know, if every sixth form student went on that, imagine some of the conversations that go on outside and and even with their parents' stuff. So I do think that where we can, we should be embracing stuff like this where we can. Um, the other thing I want to mention, because it amused me slightly, talking about manipulating stats to to imply a certain income, uh, four times the amount of instructors implies that there was a lot. <laughs> well, there was one that went last year. So, um, you know, it's an interesting one how you can manipulate the stats, or at least use them to give a certain impression. Uh, anything else you want to mention about the export or ICE? Uh, no, definitely, you know, look out for the next lot and, and put it in your diary and give it good consideration. That's all I would say, because the more that we engage, that's probably an important thing in what you just said, that in any relationship, sometimes you need to engage with the other person's hobbies, interests, and activities um so maybe maybe that's how we we start them going well what can we do to work with driving instructors so yeah stay tuned but there's definitely two topics there for future we've got auto versus manual and we've got uh adis embracing road safety so yeah two future green room tickets from that um anyway let's take a moment to set the table chris do you want to remind everyone who you are what you do where they can find you and why you now why you now have a viral sensation? <laughs> so um, I am the co-founder of the DITC, the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective, signposting platform for the driving instructor industry. If you're looking for something and you can't find it, uh, get in touch and we can probably point you in the right direction. If not, we'll go and find out how to. Um, and I am also a driving instructor without a car. I do theory uh, as a a specialism and i i teach people on zoom all day on how to get through and tackle the the theory test and you are listening to the instructor podcast green room edition and as of release date of this episode the instructor podcast season six has just gone live so you can catch episode one of season six with Stuart lockery where he tells us some very interesting things around coaching bright coaching and the PDA Level 7 that is releasing next year. Definitely check that out. Um, Stuart has impressed me immensely recently. Uh, and, and big thanks to him for bringing a, a strong Scottish contingent, contingent to, to the podcast. Um, but also want to mention that if you are enjoying these, go and check out the Instructor Podcast Premium. Well over 100 uh, exclusive trainings over there from people like Bob Morton, Sam Harper, Sophie Thompson, Chris Spencer, Ray Seagrave, Emma Cottington, uh, and I've forgotten who I've said so what's anymore. But loads of good stuff over there that starts off as little as £10 a month, and you can now get a free week's trial. So you could sign up for a week, take the week off work, and go and indulge in everything that was over there for a week, and then cancel if you wanted. Um, don't advise it. Stay around, please. But go and try that. www.theinstructorpodcast.com. But you are listening to the green room number 34, and we are now going to tackle some of the questions that have popped up in my Instructor Podcast Facebook group. But before we do, I'm going to ask a question to you about this, Chris, because the Instructor Podcast Facebook group has approximately 750 members. When the last episode of the podcast went live, it didn't get 750 downloads. <laughs> Why is that? Someone didn't listen. More than one. It just amused me. I never thought of it until the other day. I'm like, hold on, there's 750 people that have joined the Instructor Podcast Facebook group, but they're not listening. Amused me slightly. Either way, let's take these in the order they were said, I think. So the first one was from Alex Jones, who says, 
With test day anxiety becoming an increasing barrier to students passing, do you think we'll ever get a long-term assessment slash sign-off based system? Could it work? And if so, how would how would or could quality control be ensured? That's a really good question. Nice one, Alex. I I, th- I think anxiety is always going to be a thing. Um, and obviously with you know the fact that you might have to wait a while for an for a retest, that that ups the ante. Um my my approach is always gonna be don't focus on the test. Um but also focus on the test. So I think I think we we do this wrongly. We we tend to say, um, you know, we we take that approach of going, you know, we don't want to be test focused. But actually sitting down and addressing the genuine concerns, um, that that helps. I gave someone a lift today who's got their test tomorrow. Uh, not one of my pupils, one of my business partners' pupils, and um, I, you know, we we were chatting about uh, about the the concerns of, for the for the test. She was in a right old state, and it was just worries. It was just those things, a bit, uh, and additional pressures. So so yeah, um, you know, I, I think sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater and that's not necessarily a good thing what was the second half of the question because i got so caught up on that bit i missed it or do you think we'll ever get a long-term assessment or sign-off based system and could it work and how would quality hmm. control be ensured uh, could it work yes um i think the the barriers to that will be that we would need to have people who've got some kind of educational qualification um for for them to be able to sign it off um that we've we're in an industry of independent individual instructors um where there's a lot of those so if you've got to work with someone because you probably can't train and assess the same person um that how does that work um you know do you have to get buddied up with someone locally to to do so or do you get someone I suppose a bit like um the, the current trainer situation you get assessors and you get instructors um I, th- I think there's a lot of questions do i think it's going to happen no um i, I think i think it, it it would be a good idea especially if things privatized um do i think we're going to privatize no i always had it in my head i think i almost view it as driving lessons could be viewed as coursework you know if there was a way for instructors to do that but I think you know we've seen the the way some instructors are profiteering off driving tests because of the backlog. So there will be a lot of instructors that profiteer, you know, in this sense, you know, you know the brown paper envelopes being slipped in back of pocket and stuff. So in that sense, but I, I wonder also maybe if this is around the lines of graduated licenses. You know, it almost runs in parallel with that. And could a test be done in stages? Now, again, we have to appreciate that there's a massive backlog at the minute, so they couldn't change it right now. But I was just thinking the other day that they missed an opportunity in COVID. Like you said, they missed the opportunity to to change the um, the age limit on tests. I think that there's an op- they missed an opportunity to just completely revamp the system. There was a period of about three months where there were no test books. They could have just completely revamped it. And I, I do just wonder, would it be better if they just said, ah, screw it, there's no more driving tests for three months and we're going to change the system. And when you come back, sorry to anyone that's got a test book, tough luck. Um, but when you come back, this is how we're doing it. And if there was ever an opportunity to do it, 
well, COVID would have been ideal, but if there was ever opportunity to do it, now would be the time because it's screwed anyway. So, you know, maybe now would be the time, but I think I agree with you. I don't think they will. And I think that there is the possibility of graduated licenses, which is, again, along a similar vein. Uh, but we have got a, a nice comment from Les Hopkinson who says, sometimes the biggest problem with test anxiety is pupils just don't understand the driving test, what's involved, how it's marked, how the faults are weighed, etc. Um, I think I agree with that. And I think that's kind of what you touched on before, am I right? Yeah, not knowledge is power. You know, it, it's what we don't understand or what we don't know is normally what scares us. So, you know, you're you're in the house alone at night and you hear a noise. If you know that that's the next door neighbor's cat, that's much less scary than everything you imagine. Um, so, yeah, it, it, let's demystify the test. The biggest issue, and this goes to what what you've just said, Terry, about the, the changing the test. It goes to what um, Les has said about the the weighting of it and everything else. Is we're our own worst enemy because we go down to the minimum standard with it. It's like the industry default, and the more we can fight away from that and just go, do you know what? Let's just make a really good driver. And then let's go and field test them and see if they work. You know, if we were going to design something, that's kind of the way that we we take approach it. We need to do the same with with learner drivers. Um, and the answer is, I had a phone call last night from someone that was was saying exactly this. But it's the learners that want to just pass the test. It's the learners that are focused on the minimum. I don't believe it. I genuinely don't. And I, I get that there's economic differences and I get that there's um, cultural differences and things going on. But actually, I genuinely think they want to be safe. The question mark is, what is safe? How do we define safe? And and what is that standard? Is it the minimum? Because I don't think it ever is. It's the same as, you know, I mu- they must be a good instructor because they've got a good pass rate. I don't think you can use the word good because the pass rate's the minimum standard. So they must be at least at the minimum standard because they've got a good pass rate. Um, you know, I think sometimes we've got to kind of challenge these these targets. And if we can better inform pupils, then the anxiety won't be such an issue. But we won't be as focused on the test. And that allows them to change the test a lot more easily. We always remember the negatives. That's the biggest thing people remember. We remember the thing that scares us. So if you've got a student who has been told by their friends or they've seen on TikTok or whatever that you're going to fail your driving test if you bump the curb during a parallel park, that's what they remember. Even if we have that discussion with them about, well, you are, because it's not. What problem have you caused? You know, unless it's a lamppost, not curb, but, you know, what problem have you caused? And it, they'll... You can see it sinking and well, no, I ain't caused a problem actually. You're right. I've nudged it, I've stopped the car, pulled it forward, brought it round. But what do they remember on the test? And part of our role is to eradicate that memory of what their friends said. But when all the friends are saying it, when all the friends are telling them, when they see it on social media that they're gonna fail if they take their test on a Friday, then it almost it makes it harder for us to to convince them otherwise. So it's understandable that they have these problems with tests, like Les said. But even if we can explain that, it's still weighted in a negative sense. And we can even switch that around to instructors. So as you were saying, it's different 
cultures, different ideas, different people, and this kind of stuff. But what do we remember? We remember that student that once said, I want to try my test and see how I'll get on, even though I'm not ready. We don't, it doesn't spring to mind the dozens and dozens that we have that say, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I don't want to die. You know, we, we remember the one that is happy dying because whatever, you know, or I don't mind if I kill examiner, that's what he's there for. He'll put his foot on brick. They're not, you know, we remember that one. And I think that focus sometimes goes in the wrong place. So whereas in, uh, learners remember the thing the student, the friends have said, we remember the things that one learner has said. And it makes everything test-centric, too test-centric in that sense. And but again, I go back to what I was touching on before, the idea of road safety and embracing that. You know, maybe if we're talking more about, and again, not just on lessons, but on social media, publicly, um, whatever, you know, about these organizations, then maybe that's going to have more of a positive impact because it gets them thinking about that rather than a driving test. Um, but coming slightly back to Alex's comment, a question. Uh, how would it be quality control being showed? Difficultly. <laughs> I don't think that would be easy, and it would take a complete restructure of the system, which I don't see happening. I do think graduated licenses are more likely to come in before that. Um, any final thoughts on this one, Chris? No, I agree with what you just said. Okay. We may have to come back to some of these questions on another podcast because I don't think we'll have time to do them all. So let's go on to the next one, which is from Sarah Baldock. If you were in charge of the DVSA, how would you improve their service? What changes would you make? I wouldn't need to improve their service if I was in charge. Um, it'd be awesome. Um, so uh, I, 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 it's got, it, we've said it so many times. Better communication. I think the best thing the DVSA could do right now um, would be to employ someone, and I will happily take the job as long as it's for enough money, um, to translate between DVSA English and instructor English and to to do that. And do you know what? It's just occurred to me. We're doing the job and we're not getting paid. So I think that's the, you know, that's where we're we're getting it wrong. Um so, but that is that translation because actually the bit we miss is is, you know, Terry and I have regularly sat here and just guessed we're quite good at guessing it, it it comes out all right but we've learned that they normally do it for the right reason they just don't tell us that they doesn't come across so uh the the number one thing i would do would be to um get people who communicate well and to inject them into the dbsa the um the the science museum in london they had a choice we can get scientists and make them really good with people or we can get people who are really good with people and teach them a bit of science. And that's what they did. They got drama students. They got the, the, the theatrical lot in and went, here's a bit of science for you to understand. Now go and perform. And, and that's, you know, we, we need a bit of that, that, you know, we accept that sometimes people who, who are, attracted to the the box ticking world and to working in the civil service and i've got lots of friends there and they're lovely people and i'm not knocking it it's not for me um but that they're not necessarily as good at communicating but also it's not just them it's the big picture it's the government system the dinosaur that is the government that doesn't allow for good communication 
that's what I would try and open up because I genuinely believe that through good communication, you can work through anything. I have pretty much used a full notebook making ideas what I would do uh, and we don't have time to go through them all. Let's record a bonus episode for this, um, I think. Uh, yes, I'm going to do that. But I one of them was communication. But I, I, it's slightly different way in the sense of I would make a decision and communicate that decision. So that decision could potentially be we're not communicating, but we'll then tell you we're not going to communicate because we don't know because they kind of do everything half-eyed. It's like, we're going to start communicating a bit better, which they did. So we start thinking, oh, this is better. We might not like what they're saying, but at least they're filtering it across. And then that disappeared. And it feels like the, everything's a bit half-hyped. Either we'll, they, we want them to come out and say, yes, this is what we're doing, this is how we're going to communicate it, or say, yeah, now we're the governing body, you're the dog's body, this is where it stops. Just do what we tell you. Fine, as long as we know. So I think that would be a bit more around for me. There is one thing I would change, and it's the way the standards check is arranged. I'm going to use that word. So. Let's see if I can get this right. So you would have your standards check, and it would just be a normal standards check, except it would be an hour, you know, not 45 minutes, ideally longer, maybe 90 minutes. You can actually see learning taking place. The standards check itself will change in the sense that there would be no points. Um, you wouldn't get an A or a B, maybe a keep. I don't know about A and B, but you wouldn't get points. It would be pass or fail or something along those lines. So you're not worrying about, oh, have I got 26 or 27 or, or whatever? But what you get is at the end of the standards check, the examiner, and this kind of touched into a future question, actually, the examiner wouldn't tell you whether you passed or failed. They would say, this is when you're going to come in and discuss it with me. And you would arrange a day at the end of that. Then you would go in and discuss it. And that meeting would be an hour long. And they would give you constructive feedback. And let's imagine you failed, because if you passed, then you're off on your merry way. But you failed. You would then arrange your next day of the standards check with the examiner then. And it would be potentially six months further down the line. During that six months, you are not required to take any CPD. You're not required. However, when you go back for your next standards check, you get your call in advance, and you have to tell the examiner what CPD you have conducted, if you've conducted any. That examiner then can then contact the people you've done the CPD with to get their thoughts on how you've done, which can then be used almost as coursework on your next standards check. And that process repeats three times, still three strikes and you're out. But six months between each, and that's arranged. Um, if you pass, your date is arranged for four years' time, and it's arranged with that examiner at that time. Now, the examiner might have to change, but the idea is to keep the same examiner. So that's how I would change the standards check. I would completely revamp the driving test and the theory test, but again, let's not go for the entire notebook today. I love it. I, I love. I love your idea. It's not the job of the DVSA. No. I think that's the problem. And I think that if it depends, can we change the remit of the DVSA? Brilliant. Let's make it about maximums. Let's make it about... I'm going world leader with this idea. That's what I'm doing, world leader. Yeah. Uh, no, ab absolutely. Um, in, in, in the real world, um, <laughs> you know, I I, I think um, that I, what I, when you were talking, what I would like to just raise is... Um, ready to pass, I think has been a brilliant bit of communication. Um, has has really kind of you know built some bridges. 
but even inside of that there's things that haven't been communicated well and you know but yeah i changing the whole system i'd love to uh but it would mean moving away from what the dvsa's remit is one thing I forgot to mention before when we're talking about demystifying the driving test, if you would like to help your students demystify the driving test, send them to the driving test podcast. That's what we're doing over there. Um, next one will be out on the 1st of November with Joe Wilson. So there you go. Anyway, let, let's move on to the next question because I do feel like we could go on for quite a long time with that one. Um, Sarah Baldock again says, after a local examiner sadly got beaten up by an unsuccessful candidate who broke his jaw, is there merit in the idea of test results to be given by email and not in person? I don't think so. I, I think it was tragic. Uh, I saw the picture. He he looked in a bad old way, and and my you know my, my heart went out to him because he's only doing his job. Um, I think it it doesn't happen very often. Um, you know, I think there's aggression and there's you know there's issues, but. As far as I'm aware, I don't think physical violence, you know, happens happens that often. Absolutely not condoning it. The guy should never be allowed to take a driving test again. You know, um, it, yeah, just that's it. He's, I'm assuming it was a he, um, has uh, has you know, burnt that bridge. Um, as far as I'm concerned, but I don't think remote feedback works and. Very different, but I had a pupil of mine who's really struggling with the theory test um, for a, due to a number of uh, additional needs that he has. It's it's proven challenging, but we're taking steps each time. Went to do the theory test, and the printer wasn't working. So sorry, we can't give you your result. Literally nothing. Um, so you'd have to wait for the email. Email came through, just said failed. So then we had to chase it up to find out by what. And he wasn't ever going to take it again. And we kind of um, totally unfairly, <laughs> but followed his lead of how he felt about it. Um, we we kind of thought, oh, you know, maybe he'll never get there. He failed by two. Oh. <laughs> um, he, he got 40, 41 um, and it was the closest he's ever been. And we've really sort of broken something there. But um the fact of not having that feedback in the moment, I think there's a real danger for us generating negativity, anxiety, and nerves, and and you know the things that we're then going to have to fight against. I, I yeah, I don't want anyone to get injured, but I I think you know one one swallow and all that. Uh, it's not necessarily the the thing that we need to do to protect people. I've got a slightly different answer for this one because I would say I see examiners um they're the ones dealing with that they're the ones that know what it's like every day you know they are wearing body cams at the minute for a reason so you know this is the one we've heard about although you know there'd been more we'd probably hear of it you know um but yeah i i i don't know it's the answer to this one uh for me but i would ask the examiners and whether that could just be a massive ballot with every examiner and unlike some massive ballots that affect the outcome of in everyone um it could be you have to get over 60 percent for it to be valid or whatever i don't know but i would say you know 52 48 isn't a great overwhelming majority um i'm going off on tangent but yeah uh, I, I like that question uh a lot and it made me think and i don't know the answer other than to say ask examiners yes well 
Let, let's move on then. And I'm not, it's not lost on me the fact that uh, I started off this show by talking about how I didn't want to talk about the DVSA and driving tests. And so far, that's, you know, largely been all the questions have been based around. But this next question, I'm going to answer before I ask it, uh, which is, I don't know. <laughs> Moving on. So, yeah. So I'm going to, I think I might be able to come up with an answer after yours, potentially. <laughs> so, and this is from Kev Lines. Um, with so much emphasis on client centered learning for learners and pupils, why does this not apply to PDIs? It does. Yeah. Um, get good training and it will. Uh, I think the, the problem comes from lots of other areas. Client-centered is great. And, and actually, a lot of good training with, with good trainers. PDI training is based on, on being client-centered. Um, it's based on developing their own client-centered skills by showing how they learn best so they can see that you know one size doesn't fit all. Um, but actually, I think with the you know the 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 problem with the system, there's no syllabus. It's test focused. Sorry, I sound like a broken record, but um, it is based on this is you know whichever part of the test. Uh, so part one, we go go and revise and you know maybe read the books, but just go and do it on your own. I think part one and part two should be switched. Um, part two, well, you can drive anyway. Um, so, you know, you'll be fine. When we're trying to look at maximum standards on that, and we should be, but no, we don't. And then part three, all of a sudden, we introduce this idea of the fact you might have a pupil. And, you know, it it doesn't need to work that way. And there's a, an increasing number of trainers that aren't. Um, so... I think if you look at the majority of the industry, the, there's I get the issue. I get what Kev's saying, um, but I don't. I don't think there needs to be a, a change necessarily um, because people are being taught client-centered approaches and they are learning them. Um, and with the, if we rely on tests, which I hate to do, if we look at the part three, it does encourage having client-centered understanding. And I think through doing through working with PDIs, you do then cover it anyway. I think everybody will. I think in a way it gets done too much because it's you're not allowed to tell them anything, only ask questions. Um, because that's apparently client-centered. But you know, that's one for another day. We've not done audit training. Uh, so you know, you might be able to correct me on this, but this is just my what's audit training? There's <laughs> Um, there's I, another one to get rid of but yeah sorry carry on <laughs> I don't think there's a question on that in here so we can skip it for today I get the impression and please correct me if I'm wrong I get the impression that client-centered learning is, is emphasised by the DVSA for instructors and learners but it's not heavily emphasised for PDIs and their trainers it, 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 for the relationship between trainer and PDI no because nothing is emphasized and and I think that's the problem that there's there's just the nothingness it's it's you are an ADI you don't even need to be an ADI to train someone um but you are an ADI and therefore go out and teach people what you do and it's the same relationship as school of mum and dad 
and pupil versus instructor and pupil. You know, we instructors would see themselves as hopefully being of a higher standard, higher experience, higher qualification than school of mum and dad. School of mum and dad do a really good job. The stats proved it, and it's been you know a, a follow the stats episode. Um, but it's yeah, you know, we we would like to think that we're there. It should be the same with trainers. They they should be of a higher standard. But especially if you go to national driving schools, you might get a trainer who you're the first person that they've ever trained to be an ADI, and they've only qualified themselves a year ago. So standards is is a real issue because there aren't any so to answer kev's question why does this not apply to pdis because the dvsa works off minimum standards and their minimum standards for audit or training is just teach them essentially yeah and and there's a there's a level of and i agree with a level of the pdi should be doing the work to discover those those things but we should be supporting it, and and it's it's not. So they get told the minimum, and yeah. As you mentioned, there are some amazing trainers out there that do take that approach, um, and I have the pleasure to know some, so that's good. Let's move on to the next question, which is from Stuart Lockery, whose episode on the Instructor Podcast you can go back and check out now, um, which is, I like this one. And I'm going to answer this first. If the DVSA didn't exist and pupils did not need to pass tests, what would you do? I would carry on doing exactly the same thing because I reckon I'm pretty confident that 90% at least of my current students, I can only think of one that, that wouldn't, would still want the lessons. Because again, it's, it's not test focused. There's one 17 year old <laughs> that I think would go, and actually probably more because their parents. The parents are quite pushy. They might stay with me. But the majority of my students that I have now and have had over the last few years would want to stay with me until they felt ready to drive. And they've all said that's when they're going to be ready for a driving test, when they feel ready to drive. And the same thing with this premium content, for example. I reckon 90% of the people within my premium content are there not because they're bothered about a standards check or anything like that, they're there because they want to develop as humans and as instructors and as business owners and all this kind of stuff. So I reckon, and I would love to get your comments on this. So the guys in, in the, the chat now, oh, I'm seeing thumbs up go already. Well, that's good. I reckon most of these guys would keep listening at the very least, but probably stay in the premium anyway, because that's the good people that they are. So I wouldn't change anything. What would you do, Chris, if the DVSA didn't exist and pupils did not need to pass tests? I'm in a slightly sadder position because probably the um, the the actual theory driving test um, is irrelevant anyway in its current form, and and I I fully support getting rid of it in place of something else. Um, so I don't think anyone would come to me. Where I agree, practically, yes, yeah, absolutely, I'd carry on doing it. But I would still carry on with what I do already because potentially there's a load of driving instructors needing to develop new businesses and as also being a business coach, um, that'd be great. I could I could work with some some new businesses trying to uh pivot and redevelop, you know, skills into into a modern approach to other things. That's right up my street. So yeah, in, in the spirit of um of Stuart's question, um, that's what I would be doing. Um, but I agree with you, and therefore I also agree with getting rid of the automatic restriction 
Um, because I, th- I think the same thing there, that people will get training. Let's move on to Alex Jones then. And this is a slightly longer question, so bear with me. In the part three standards check, it states, if you bring a partially trained learner, they should be able to drive for 40 minutes without frequently stopping. Do you think this is putting ADIs, PDIs off doing regular review stops with learners? And is it a protocol left over from COVID precautions and the need to maintain ventilation in the car? I appreciate that risk can only be assessed on the move, but do the teaching and learning strategy side of things suffer if we don't stop to analyse? Um, I think absolutely based on on a lot of people's interpretation of what that means. You know, you, you've got to keep the wheels moving, which was the COVID thing. It's not that, though, is it? it? It's It has changed subtly and possibly not been communicated so well um, because it says it needs to be a, a, a driver of a standard where they can keep the vehicle moving. So you're stopping by choice therefore addressing risk not stopping through necessity so i i i absolutely love um alex's terminology of you know um can i haven't got it in front of me what about the stops the um used the phrase oh it's annoying me now go on you got it in front of you terry what what did it say about the stops um, to kind of check what was going on or address issues if the part three standard check it states, if you bring a partially trained learner, they should be able to drive for 40 minutes without frequently stopping. Do you think this is putting ADIs, PDIs off doing regular review stops with learners? Sorry, thank you. Uh, the regular review stops. So, yeah, it's exactly that. It's to review. Are we happy with the goal? Are we happy with what's going on? Are we happy with everything? Brilliant, let's go. Or are we going to change it? Brilliant, let's go. You know, it, bringing that in, that that's the lesson structure is what it should be. And there's nothing that says it shouldn't be. Um, it's about having the the ability to keep keep moving, to embrace risk, um, to so that you can then manage it um with them, not for them. Uh so so yeah, no, I I I I do think that the understanding of what they're asking for does um cause a problem. But I don't think it should. To answer the first question, do you think it's putting off ADIs? PDIs doing regular review stops for learners? Uh, yes, but yeah. because they don't understand what's what yeah. the the guidance is, um, I'd take that as right. Just don't take someone on a controls lesson. You know, take someone who's actually going to be able to drive. And like you said, choose when to stop. I think that's the big thing, isn't it? It's not stopping because they can't drive, and you're going to go do a left turn, then going to have to pull up immediately because they can't possibly do two. Yes. Either way. Anything else you want to touch on with that one, Chris? Um, uh, no, Alex's. I, I love Alex's questions. They're great. But what did you think of those questions, Chris? The um, We've got quite a few questions there from uh, Sarah and Kev and Alex and Stuart. I don't think I've missed anyone. What did you think of those questions? I, I thought they were all really good, um, but they're from from names that I recognise that I don't expect any less. Um, so yeah, I, I I think what's really interesting is 
we often sit here, and we did it earlier, sit here and go, we don't want to talk about the DVSA. We don't want the same old, same old. But actually, the good questions about the DVSA are still good and really interesting. Um, Hopefully, we'll find out. We'll watch those viewing statistics. That is much better than um, talking about driving test waiting times. And talking about the fact they're using slightly different stats potentially to make himself look better. Um, I, I that was engaging for me. I really enjoyed that. We might have to do that more often. Um, yeah, enjoyed that. Uh, anything else you want to cover on today's episode, Chris? Uh, no, I, I think we, we've covered you know everything and in between. Um, you know, ju- just that the world's not always a bad place. We just like to focus on the negative. Um, and it doesn't help when the weather's as rotten as it has been. Um, so find something happy to enjoy your next week and um, and celebrate it. Let's, let's do. Let's finish on a high then. Tell me something good that's happened to you recently. Well, apart from me being viral on TikTok, um, it's, no, it's no, use my line. Come on, apart from you having like a viral infection. <laughs> I, I've had one video on TikTok that's just gone really well. Has I think it's just about to hit forty four thousand views in a couple of days. So uh, yeah, it was a bit of a buzz because normally it's about like five hundred, and I don't feel it's worth it. Um, but the interesting thing was I just managed to push the button that upset people about smart motorways. So it came off of a negative. Um, so, you know, there, there's always a silver lining. Some Someone's out there, you know, being able to smile. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you know, it, it's it, get out there on social media. It's, it's not a nasty place. Well, uh, do you want to take a moment to remind people where they can find you if they want to go find more Chris Goodness? So um, all of the social media channels from Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Um, I'm going to start trying to use LinkedIn, but I don't like it. Um, you can find me uh, either under Chris Benstead or um, you can find me under Theory Test Explained or go to theorytestexplained.co.uk. Or you can go to the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective, the DITC. So e- either of those. I've had loads of fun on LinkedIn recently. I met some amazing people over there. But uh, just a reminder, anything you want to find out about me on the Instructor Podcast, www.theinstructorpodcast.com. One that will ask a favor for you guys. Make sure you click and subscribe when you listen. That's the thing that has the biggest impact on podcast discoverability it is subscription. So click subscribe for me. And um, for now, let's just keep raising standards. The Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them.